0: Amen. Children, you are dismissed. That's a powerful song. Thank you, Brian and Haley and Kathy, Tracy. Well, I am extremely excited for a couple reasons. The first one is that this is the Sunday before Christmas, and we get to celebrate our King. We get to celebrate His coming, the anticipation, the advent of the coming King, This is the culmination of all of that anticipation. The king came after 400 years of silence to the Jews. The prophecies had ceased for 400 years, seeking and anticipating the coming of the king. And he came. Amen? Amen. Another reason why I'm excited is because we're starting the book of John. Now, I have to confess That the book of John is my favorite book of the Bible. I just get geeked out about it because it is such a powerful book of the life of Jesus Christ. And one of the things that I think is important is as a church walking through the life of Christ, as I'll share at the end of the sermon, but I think that the life of Christ is supremely important into the life of a believer because Christ walked the earth was filled with the Holy Spirit, chose humanity to show you and I how we can live and should live as believers on this earth. And so as we begin this series, we begin with the birth of Christ. Another thing that I think about Christmas, and and many people might think this is odd, but I think that the greater mystery is the incarnation rather than the resurrection, Now, let me share with you why I think the greatest mystery is the incarnation. The first reason is because my mind cognitively can understand resurrection, right? Someone dies and they come back to life. For me, I can understand that. But God becoming a baby, that just blows my mind. It's difficult to wrap my mind around. I believe it and I own it and I know that this gospel is true, but it tricks my mind a little bit to think that God could become a baby. That's how real and how mysterious and how powerful this season is. Before we open up the word of the Lord, let me pray and invite us to ask the Holy Spirit's presence. God, you are so good that all of the anticipation, the culmination of the desires of salvation came in a baby. God, we are blessed to celebrate this season, to anticipate the second coming, but to worship you in the first advent. Father, I pray that you will speak to our hearts. Holy Spirit, that you will illuminate the word of God to us. Father, I pray that you will speak through me, through the power of the Holy Spirit, and that the Holy Spirit will ignite our ears and our hearts to hear what you have for us. Because without you speaking, this is useless. Father, we need to hear from you. And I pray that as we open up the scriptures, that it won't be simply for education, but it will be for life transformation. Because every time we open up the powerful book, the word of God, we can and ought to be changed. Come Holy Spirit, in your name. Amen. Amen. I remember uh, the first Christmas after my parents' divorce. And it was was a hard Christmas. It was the first Christmas where we had to have Christmas with my mom and Christmas with my dad. My dad came to Akron, Ohio, where we were living at the time, to have Christmas with us. And it was a powerful Christmas, not necessarily because of the gifts that we got, although that was powerful because my dad had very little money, and he put to the angel tree our needs and our our wants and and those, those Christmas list items that we really were hoping to get. And we really, truly did get each and every gift we asked for. It was the first time as a pastor's kid that I had ever had Nike shoes. Before that, it was like Franklin Shoes or some some other off-brand that you got at Kmart or Ames. Remember Ames, right, back in the day? Well, it was the first time I received that, but it wasn't about that at all. It was powerful because my dad wanted to have Christmas with us in the morning and the afternoon of Christmas. And at our Alliance Church in Akron, Ohio, a youth pastor who was living in a parsonage on Christmas morning, it still gets me. On Christmas morning, decided that he was going to vacate his home so that we could spend time as a family with my dad, opening gifts and spending time together. A powerful testimony of Christmas, giving a gift, offering love. And as we unpack the mystery of Christ, as we unpack the mystery of Christ's coming, it's that powerful times 1,000 million, whatever number you can think of. I can remember that Christmas because of the love of the, the body of Christ that was given to me. It was a powerful time. And so as we look at the story, the gospel of John, the coming of Jesus, let us remember it is a coming of love. We light the pink candle this morning as a reminder of the love of Jesus Christ. But again, this, this mystery is so hard to unpack, it's difficult to understand. Although I think sometimes because we grow up in the church, we can take advantage of the idea that Christmas makes sense. I know Jesus came as a baby. But if we sit down and really cognitively try to grasp the idea that God became a child, it's not as easy as just saying, oh yeah, it happened. And so I want us to reflect as we look at the story of John, to look at the power of the coming of Christ. The reality is is that you and I, we live in a broken world. And you and I need restoration and the world around us needs restoration. The longing for the Messiah came out of a deep-rooted understanding that the people of God needed restoration. They desired salvation. They desired a king to come in and bring them salvation. And we... And the world around us need the same exact thing, and He came. The question that we're going to look at is, what is the incarnation and why is it important? Christ coming in flesh is incarnation. Why is it important and what is it exactly? Because the brokenness that's in this world can only be restored due to the incarnation. So if you'd open with me to the book of John We're going to read John chapter 1, 1 verses 14. And like I said, as we begin this series, we're going to be walking through the book of John. You could put a a bookmark in the book of John because we're going to be opening up every week, but we'll also have it on the screen for you. And so this is the word of the Lord from the book of John chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. And we have seen His glory. Glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. The Word became flesh. So what is the incarnation? Why is it important for you and for me? And I think the very first thing that we can see is that the incarnation shouts to God's pursuit of man. Shouts. Of God's pursuit of man. He couldn't have made it more clear that He is pursuing after you and after me. When He came in flesh, He was saying, I am coming to be among you, to save you, to be with you, because I love you and I desire intimacy and relationship. I desire the restoration of the brokenness of our relationship to come back together. That is the incarnation. The pursuit of God. And there's a a, a professor of theology who said there is no other religion that offers a God who pursues humanity. Look at all other religions. It is all about come to me, come to me, come to me. But he said, I am going to come to you. I am going to come as a child. I'm going to come and I am going to pursue after you. Man, we don't deserve that kind of love. We don't deserve that kind of pursuit. We don't deserve Christ's birth. Yet he came. He came as a child for you and for me. God chose to dwell with us in our humanity. God chose to dwell with us in our humanity. All of the trappings in which you and I have in our lives as humans Christ dealt with. Christ put on flesh and dwelt with humanity the pain, the suffering, the sorrow, the anguish. He had physical pain, emotional pain. He saw the pain of the world and he grew up in a time where they didn't have running water or television or any of those things that we look at now and take advantage of. There's several of them. Those are just two random ones. (laughs) He came and he lived among us He dwelt among us and he chose to dwell with us in our humanity. The unlimited God chose to live with human limitations. Just let that sink in for a moment. The unlimited God chose to live with human limitations, he became a baby. Now, I don't know if you know this, but babies cannot feed themselves. Babies cannot change their own diapers. Babies cannot walk, cannot talk in the beginning of their lives. The unlimited God, Christ Himself, stepped down from heaven, gave all of that power up to be both God and man, As a baby. That's one of the reasons why this idea of the coming of Christ blows my mind, because God chose to be a baby. I've had babies. I've held babies in my hand. I've fed babies. I've changed babies' diapers. They cannot do anything on their own, yet God came as a a baby. He could have come as the second Adam, as a second man who just fell out of heaven and stood around us as a, as a grown man, but no, he dealt with the trappings of infancy. Just imagine and picture that. For me, that is the greatest mystery. It is hard to deal with because it's, it's so mind-blowing that he would do that for me. I don't know about you, but if someone said, hey, if you, could, if you could go back into time and save someone by becoming a baby, would you go be a baby again? I really don't know if I would say yes to that. That's a difficult thing, and I'm just a normal human. He stepped down out of heaven to become a child. The word where it says, he dwelt among us, that Greek word means he took up residence. He built a house here. He pitched his tent here on earth. He took up residence among us. And it wasn't a quick life. It wasn't like, oh, boom, here we go, done. I'm, I'm totally done with this whole thing. He came and he lived through puberty. He came and he lived through all of those times of difficult awkwardness. His father died when he was young. He dealt with the pain of loss and of death. He wept for a friend who was sick and died. He dealt with all of the human trappings. He took up residence. He took time to live among us. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing could have been made. That God, that King, that Messiah came and stepped down into earth. That is such a huge mystery to me. But it's a powerful testament to a God who pursues, a powerful testament to a God who loves us, that he would take on human limitations as the unlimited God. And this is really difficult to grasp as well because when we look at all of mythology, Egyptian, Roman, Greek mythology, many of the gods were created in human image. They said, well, this is what they look like because I'm a human and that's what they're going to do. They're going to be angry and all these different things and they want me to serve them. But God is a God who says that we were created in his image. We cannot return the favor. (laughs) But he came as a baby in the image that he had created in the garden to come and take up residence among you and among me. The incarnation, that word incarnate, means to put flesh on. Or to put meat on. If you were to go to some Mexican restaurant and say, I want chili con carne, that means I want chili with meat. The name came from that where God purposely put on flesh that could be cut, that could be broken, that could be wounded. And he did that for you, and he did that for me. The mystery of this gospel is so intense. God sent Jesus to be human, to redeem and restore. Yes, yes but he also showed us what we were originally designed to be in his own image. Jesus lived a perfect life that you and I could never live. And as we move through the book of John, we will see that he is truly the second Adam, that he is as we were supposed to be, and that we can be restored to by the power of the Holy Spirit. We will see this through the book of John, that the life of Christ is a blueprint. For how you and I are to live our lives, how we are to live fully into the image of God to this world. Jesus came so that you and I could do that, so that you and I could be restored to relationship. God longs to be with us, to spend time with us as he did in the garden with Adam and Eve, walking together. It's from garden to garden. If you go to the end of Revelation, you will see there is a garden there as well. You see, every other God's ambition is to force conformity by demanding perfect obedience. God knows that you and I cannot have perfect obedience. So he came, became a human, and died to save us from ourselves, to save us from our sins, to save us from our transgressions. The incarnation proves his love for us. Another interesting thing that I see in the Gospel of John and the Gospels in general is that Jesus didn't choose the easy way for himself. He came at a time where Jews had been persecuted for over 400 years. He became a Jew in a time where they were being governed by an abusive, angry, hateful, war-filled Rome. And he chose that time. You see, here's the crazy thing about the, the mystery of the incarnation that many times I think gets lost. You probably know it. It's nothing new. But Jesus' birth was the only birth that was ever chosen at that time by the person who was being born. Imagine that. If you could think through what family would I want to be born in, This is you before you're born. (laughs) What family would I want to be born in? What era would I want to be born in? What time, what kind of wealth would my family have? If you could choose all of that, would you have chosen what Jesus chose? I wouldn't. I wouldn't at all. But he chose that specific time and that specific portion of history. He did not take the easy way out. And he did this as we will find in the story in the gospel of Christ that there was that time, that age in the Roman era where they hung criminals in the worst way. That Jesus chose the worst death for you and for me. And as we get to the end in the passion of Christ in the book of John, we will see just how bad that death was. But Jesus did not choose the easy way. I also, again, would not have chosen to be a baby. I would choose to be a man, come to earth as a man. And it says in the, in the scriptures that he was not, in Isaiah, the prophecy about him, that he was not most, the most beautiful man. He was plain. I probably would have made myself look a little bit handsomer than I am today. Which is a lot. (laughs) He came as a plain person. Most of us, if we could choose what we would look like, we would probably choose pretty good looking. Because, well, you know, if I'm good looking, I'm going to get people's attention. Because I can can speak a little bit better to people because they'll like my face a little bit more. He didn't choose that. He didn't choose a wealthy family. He chose a carpenter and a carpenter's wife. He chose that family at that time. He chose Mary. If you go back to the time when the angel comes to Mary, he says, you have been chosen. It wasn't an accident. It wasn't like God was like, all right, mm, that one. Nope, that's not how he did it. He purposefully chose Mary, Joseph. He purposely chose that time. God is incredible, and he did that purposeful choice for you and for me. He stepped down and chose that life. If you look at Hebrews 4.15, I believe this, this scripture gives us the reason why Jesus chose that specific time. It says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every aspect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. If you look at your life and you say, Well, yeah, if Jesus grew up in my day and age, he would have been a lot more sinful than he was. Nope, not true. If you look at the Greco-Roman world, you'd be like, Whoa! Some of the things would blow your mind that even make us look a little bit conservative in our complete world. Jesus chose a specific time and has been tempted in every way that you and I have been tempted in. Yet he did not sin. He did not choose the easy way for himself. An author by the name of Hugh Halter once said this. He came, that's Jesus, so that his divine life could actually take root in you. And so that you could relate to him like humans used to before sin. God came and chose that time, came and chose that death, came and chose so that he could wrestle with life the way you and I wrestle with life, so that our restoration could be complete, so that the original design of relationship could be restored. Now, it will not be fully restored until the second coming, and we are in heaven. However, we can have that restoration now because he came. The song we said, the veil was torn before you. We now have access to the powerful, beautiful presence of the living God because he chose to come. He did not choose the easy way for himself. His birth was the only one controlled by the one being born. The next thing that we can see from verses 6 through 9 is that the incarnation illuminated the image of God. And we can also see this in John 1.18. But let me read those verses for you again. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light but came to bear witness about the light. The true light which gives light to everyone was coming into the world. And in verse 18, which we did not read and we'll cover in a couple weeks, it says no one has ever seen God, the only God, who is the, at the Father's side. He has made Him known. The incarnation is not just saying, okay, I am pursuing after you. The incarnation is Jesus saying, look at me. When you see me, you see the Father. He says that in the book of John. I and the Father are one. I only do what the Father tells me to do. I am an image, a picture of who God the Father is for you, to you, and who he is with you. The incarnation illuminated the image of God, was a bright light in the midst of darkness, so that we could see who God is, and how God loves, and how God restores, and how God redeems. Flesh had been corrupted. Flesh is still corrupted, but we have an opportunity to restore and redeem the corrupted flesh by believing in Christ. And the incarnation is so much more than just a Christmas story. It's so much more than a cute little Christmas card. It is a powerful reality for you and for me. It changed the course of the universe. Have you ever heard the story of a baby who changed all eternity? Well, that was him. You might think that that was your birth. Sometimes I think it's mine. (laughs) But I am only temporal. You are only temporal. Christ is eternal, and his birth changed all of eternity. Everything changed in that moment. 1 John 1.5 shares with us how God is light. The same author who wrote this book wrote 1 John and said, God is light. This is God. When it declares that Jesus, the baby, was light that came into the darkness, he's also saying he is light. God. Over and over again in the book of John, we'll hear the I am statements where Jesus calls himself God, where people see him as God, God in flesh. The whole series we're looking at is seeing God in flesh. That's where we're going for the next year, maybe a little bit more if we get really excited about the book of John. It's a powerful truth that the incarnation illuminated the image of God. Let me share with you a story of a guy who, his name's John Stott, he wrote of Mice of Men. He also wrote this really small story. I think this could help you and I understand a little bit more in a, in a different way. So this story that, that John Stott wrote was the village of the blind, the community of the blind. And maybe you've read this short story, maybe you haven't, but I'll give quick snippets. There's this village in this valley that they could not get out of this valley. For 10 generations, they had a DNA defect in their, in their community that took away their eyes. They did not, they were not born with eyes. They had eye sockets, but they had no eyeballs. And for 10 generations, they were blind, and they had never seen or touched anything. Anyone who had eyeballs. So that's the picture of this community. And this one guy who has sight stumbled into this valley and he walks around and he sees how beautiful things are and he sees that every person is blind and he begins to talk with them and he says, have you not seen? Have you, have you not seen? It? And this, this word seen and these, this word eyes and this word sight did not even exist in their vocabulary. And he was trying to explain, don't you understand? Like, there are colors. Well, what are, what are, what are colors? And they, they began to feel his face to see who this crazy person was with these really crazy words. And they felt these eyeballs protruding from his eye sockets. And they've never felt that before. And they said, what are you? He said, I'm a human. I just have eyeballs. What, what are eyeballs? Well, he was so offensive to them that they threw him in jail because they had no idea what to do with this crazy person. They thought he was a lunatic. But eventually, he was able to have this conversation with the leader of the village about what sight is and how eyeballs work. And they began to understand that there is something different than what we've known our entire lives. He was able to bring not physical sight, but he was able to bring insight to what sight should be, how humans were designed. Jesus came to the valley of the blind to show us the image of God, to show us what he looks like, because without Jesus, you and I are still blind. This whole idea of God coming, God loving, God dying, God raising, God being born doesn't make sense, except for the illumination of the Holy Spirit through the life of Jesus Christ. He came to illuminate The image of God. Jesus is the seeing man to the blind community. And he chose to come to a blind people. He chose to come to a people who were anticipating his coming but did not want him. They didn't want the image of God that he brought. But there were some. And they believed. And their lives were changed. He chose to come and be looked at as a lunatic by some but he chose so that we could see the image of the living God, the living, loving God. The incarnation gives sight to a blind world. Verses 10 through 13. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Wow. He is the sight of to the blind the incarnation gives sight to a blind world now we're going to look in, in a little bit in the, when we go into the book of John at the life of a believer because i believe that the image of god coming as a man is not supposed to end on christmas day where we say god came the incarnation was here god made flesh But I also believe that as believers, those of us who have caught the sight of the image of God, those of us who have grasped the reality of the light and the darkness, I believe that we, believers of Christ, are the incarnation of Christ to this world. That you and I have a responsibility to be the incarnation to this world. I think it's important as we talk about Christmas, as we look at the coming of Jesus Christ and the anticipation of the advent of Jesus and the birth of Christ, we also must be challenged with the reality that we, you and I as believers, are to incarnate Christ in our world. If we leave looking at Christmas as something that has happened and is not happening, we miss something powerful. And so I wanted to remind us that we are the incarnation of Christ. John the Baptist captured this. Look at what he says in verses 6 through 7, what John says about John the Baptist. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness, to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. John the Baptist was the first missionary for Christ, preparing the way telling everybody about the light. Now people thought he was crazy too because he wore really crazy clothes and he smelled kind of weird and he ate just honey. And, and But people came to know Christ because of John's witness. Are you and I, as we embrace the reality, the fullness of the incarnation, are we seeking to be the incarnation to our dark world? Are we seeking to bring the image of God with us Or are we like the old Greeks and the old Egyptians and the old Romans trying to make God in our own image rather than living in the image of God? It's really easy to do that. It's really easy to fall into that trap of making God in our own image. But he says, no, be in my image. And that's another reason why I'm excited about the book of John because we will see how we are to live. The Gospels are blueprints for you and for me. We are the incarnation of Christ. Jesus put the flesh of humanity on so we could be clothed with the covering of Christ. Galatians 3.27 says, For as many of you were were baptized into Christ, you have put on Christ. While we're baptized, we die to sin and we're raised again to life. We put Christ on on. We wear Christ. Remember going back to the garden where Adam and Eve sinned and they had their fig leaves on, which didn't really work. God was like, hey, you need some clothes. And he killed animals and he put the clothing upon them to cover their shame and their nakedness and their sin. Christ put on flesh so that his flesh could be destroyed, so that he could be our covering. If you look through the scriptures, everything points to Jesus. Even that moment of killing an animal and putting clothing upon Adam and Eve was an image of what you and I receive from the flesh and death of Christ, the blood of Christ covering us. We say that all the time, but do we have that image of being clothed with him? We are the incarnation of Christ, and Jesus put on the flesh of humanity so we could be clothed with the covering of Christ. We, by the indwelling Holy Spirit, are the eyes to the blind today. Are you and I living as the eyes to the blind? Are we living in a way that describes by our life and by our words? Are we living in a way that shows the incarnation of Christ? I want to challenge us with that. Because I think many times when we have a Christmas message, it's, oh, that's so great, that's so awesome, but there's also a challenge Because the incarnation of Christ did not end in the stable. It continues on with you and me by the power of the Holy Spirit. May we be spurred on and encouraged to be God in flesh to this world. (laughs) Since we are in fact the incarnation of Christ, we are always on, on a mission field. It's one of the reasons I love that back. If you look back there real quick as you leave, go ahead and look right now. It says you are entering your mission field. Maybe you've walked past those doors and have never read that, but I think it's a powerful reminder that you and I, if we are believers, if we have owned this gospel, if we have received the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ as true for us, when we walk out those doors, we are on a mission field. Are we incarnating Christ or not? Again, what is the Incarnation and what does it mean for today? Finally, I believe that Christmas is not just an exciting celebration of what happened, but is a current celebration of what is happening. Christmas is every day. It's not just December 25th. Because through the power of the Holy Spirit, you and I are bringing the Incarnation of Christ, the image of God, where we go because we are clothed with Christ. Do we see it that way? Do we get excited about Christmas on the 25th and then forget about it? Or do we bring it with us to every moment, to every conversation? Are we bringing Christmas with us? My challenge to myself and my challenge to you is that we can remember that Christmas is not just an exciting celebration of what happened, but it's something that is happening and it's happening through you you and I have the opportunity through the power of the Holy Spirit to be the incarnation of Christ to this world. It wasn't just a baby in a stable. It's you and it's me. May we be the incarnation of Christ. May we see and sense and know the power of Advent. And may it fuel everything that we do. Let's pray. Father, you are good, and you are loving, and you are the Prince of Peace. You are Emmanuel. You chose to come at one of the worst times in history, yet you stepped down out of heaven to be the image of God on earth, fully God and fully man. You chose that for me and you chose that for everyone in this room, for everyone outside of this room. Father, may Christmas spur us on not just to be excited about one day, but to be excited about every day. And may we take the mission of being the incarnation of Christ to this world seriously. And may we see this county, this town, this nation changed of the incarnation of Christ. Amen. Please stand.